Hi, this is Marquise Hollywood Brown, and you're listening to 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Heaves it deep for Hollywood. He's got it. It's a touchdown. Oh, mama. I always wanted to be here. Me and Kyla talked about it. Where it actually happened is pretty crazy. I'll tell you what, when he stepped on the field the first day, his speed just jumped off the charts. I expect him to be a big part of this offense. Oh. Wolf and Luke talk Cardinals now. Practice uh, wrapping up today. Sounds like just looking at Darren Urban's uh, comments. Hollywood Brown did not practice today, but it's just a rest day. Okay. So before everybody freaks out and is like, okay, now they're down to just Greg Dorch at receiver. <laughs> Greg Dorch and AJ Green, Hollywood Brown. Sounds like he is fine. James Conner, day to day. Just amazing when you mention Greg Dorch, though, and I think of 11 personnel where the Arizona Cardinals run three wide receivers out onto the field. The fact that Greg Dorge is your third wide receiver. Of course, you got Hollywood Brown, you've got A.J. Green, and you've got Greg Dorge out on the field. Can I just tell you right now, let's go. Let's go. You know, I'm fine with that. Are you kidding? Greg Dorch sounded what pretty we've good. seen from Greg Dorch? He's your third receiver, but he actually leads the team with 11 catches, leads the team with 118 yards, and got that first NFL touchdown last week, too. So it's not like he can't get in the end zone. Just loving it right now, what I'm seeing from Greg Dorch. This is a football player. This is a guy who's going to stick. He's going to have a 10-year career in the league. I wonder what happens when they start to get Rondale Moore and DeAndre Hopkins, some of these guys, back, if Dorch is going to play like this. I mean... You know, I guess you don't have to keep him on the field, but if he's going to play like this, it's it's nice to have some depth because right now, Wolf, they don't have any depth. They worked out a couple of receivers yesterday. Yeah. Like they are very thin that position. Now it got us kind of thinking. You see teams around the league every year where the quarterback, you know, he can't do it all himself, but but he really does carry the team for the most part. I'm not saying Kyler Murray has hit that level yet, but they are beat up. They a lot of guys have looked very uneven in the first couple games. Now it took a team to come back on Sunday, but if if the rest of the team is kind of uneven and there are growing pains this season, how much does the simple fact that Kyler Murray might be taking the next step, how far could he drag a team like this over the course of the season? Well, let's just say it the way that it is. If you look at his leg talent, you look at his arm talent right now, you look at his physical skills, uh, Kyler Murray could take a team a long way and has. We have seen that. Kyler Murray needs to continue to grow in all the areas you don't see. In his game preparation, we've talked about this many, many times. In his leadership, we've talked about it many, many times. He's a man, a young man, who is not a finished product. And he's going to continue to grow and has to continue to grow and get better. And I saw growth. I don't know about you, but in the first two games, I see growth from Kyler Murray. I do. Not only on the field, but off the field I mean, as we well. Said it after the first game, and the first game was a really bad loss. Yes. Kyler Murray. I mean, we spent last week talking about what if, in the middle of all of this, Kyler is evolving into more of a leader, and that was partially because of how he handled himself and, and his teammates after the game, but also partially because he didn't fall apart during the game against the Chiefs. Yes. He wasn't amazing. He no. wasn't dragging them to any sort of win, but he didn't fall apart. No, And that's why this Rams game, there's no way to have a conversation about this team without having a conversation about the Rams, especially when you play them this week, because that is a measuring stick, not just for the Cardinals, but for Kyler Murray in general, because the one game I've ever truly seen him he hasn't had all great games. I'm not saying right. that. But the one game I've ever seen him just be done at, by, at the end of the first quarter was the Rams game in the playoffs. The one, exactly right. The one game that I have seen him not look like Kyler Murray. 
was that game against the Rams yeah. in the playoffs. That's the only time, honestly, where I saw him impacted to that degree, where it impacted his play. And that's why this game is so important. Listen, other than the final score for this game, the one loss column, other than that, my number one piece of, of interest that I'm looking for in this game is Kyler Murray and how he plays against the Rams. And in particular, Aaron Donald. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking for that right here because the last time we saw him on the field, that was not Kyler Murray to me. It was not. It was somebody else that was out there playing. I, I didn't expect Kyler Murray to be impacted by the pressure, literally by the pressure, and literally by the pressure of the big game as well. I did not say, I thought he was going to thrive in that environment. He did not. He didn't get a lot of help. He didn't get a lot of help. Hear me well on that. But to me, there, um, I, I, find, I, I was looking for the Aaron Donald quote from after the game last year, right? The, the playoff game, because that playoff game was unsettling for a lot of reasons. Not only A, did your season end, B, did the whole team look lost, C, Kyler Murray looked like he just stopped fighting. I mean, that was the one time, like you said, it looked, he looked like he was a combination between stopped fighting and didn't know what to do. Exactly. But the, the, the concern coming out of that game for me was like, okay, you lost to the Rams. They might go on and win the Super Bowl, and they did. You see this team twice a year. You you can't get anywhere near where you want to go as the Cardinals until you at some point go through the Rams. It's not it's not the Chiefs, right? Yeah. You may never it, it, let's say in a perfect world the Cardinals get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. They may never even have to deal with the Chiefs. But or the Bills. But the Rams you're going to have to go through and it looked like the Rams had figured the Cardinals out and it looked like Aaron Donald was in Kyler's head. And the quote the next day uh from that we saw from Aaron Donald was once guys were getting close to him, you could see he fluttered. He tried to get out of the pocket a couple times. We kind of kept him contained to the point where he couldn't, and he had to make a couple of bad throws, or he slid down. So I think we just did a good job bottling him up, unquote, Aaron yeah. Donald. That slid down part was the one that hit me, because watching the game, it felt like every time Aaron Donald got too close, Kyler was like, I'm not getting away from anyway. I'm a self-preservation here. And that's a problem when you play this team at least twice a year. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it, man. And anyone who watched that game, you knew exactly what Aaron Donald was talking about. Um, that's the reason why I say this game for Kyler Murray has got to be a little bit different than anybody else that is going to take this field because he did look so out of sorts. Um, this is a this is a game right now that um, I actually am going to do my what will Wolf watch. I wrote about the fact that it's a rebuttal game for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, okay, the last time we played you, in other words, we all saw the evidence before us. This game is going to be the rebuttal game. That game, the the Arizona Cardinals are going to say, you know what, that game was not who we were. That's not who we were in the playoffs. That's that's not who we're going to be this year. And here's the rebuttal. Week three of the NFL season. Here it is. Here's their opportunity to present new evidence, if you will, to that old evidence of 2021. This one could go a long way uh, towards being the next step in the evolution of the Cardinals if they're going to get where they ultimately want to go. And Even though the game was played in 2022, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you're, just, you're never going to get over that, are you? Uh, A.Q. Shipley on with us yesterday talked about how electric Kyler can be. Uh, he's electric every time he touches the ball. It's incredible. I mean, you saw glimpses of it his rookie year where he was still probably feeling it out when I was playing with him. And, you know, just 
probably trying to figure out what hits he can take, should take, and, you know, how many times he should run it. And then the more and more comfortable he's gotten at, you know, putting those things to use, it's electric to watch. And then the minute you sit there and try and keep him in the pocket and slow play it and not rush it, then he can thread the needle with the way he can throw it. So, I mean, he's got everything going for him, and it's it's crazy how quickly that game changed. You know, they, they couldn't get anything rolling at all for 35 minutes, and then he decided, hey, I'm going to take this game over, and he did. That, for the record, the end of that game, Wolf, to me, was, was when I say I want to see Kyler Murray run, that was how I want to see him run. I don't need designed runs. I mean, you can have one or two a game, whatever, that's fine. I don't need designed runs for Kyler Murray because I do want him to stay on the field. I just want that threat, and he just put it out there for the whole league to see of, if I have to run, if we're down yes. by 16, I'll just run all over you. I'll run around for 21 seconds to yep. get two yards if I have to. <laughs> you can't stop me when I do that. And he's got that kind of talent. He really does. He's got that kind of ability. Um, everybody, of course, looks at that play, that two-point conversion, where he's running around 85 yards, and it took him 21 seconds to do it. And yet, um, we've been talking for the last 48 hours about that throw, the two-point conversion to A.J. Green, mm-hmm. to actually put him into overtime, which gave him a chance to win the game. That, to me, said so much more about Kyler Murray and the development of Kyler Murray going forward. Do you know a high school student with great character? We want to hear about them and how they make an impact on our community. Just text character to 620-620 and share their story. What's in it for them is a $10,000 scholarship from Parker & Sons in Arizona Sports. So go ahead and text character to 620-620. When we come back, in case you missed it, Robert Sarver has started the process of selling the Suns and Mercury. What's next? We'll get into that next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, welcome back to the show. This is Wolf and Luke here. Fairly busy week with uh, ASU looking for a head coach. The Cardinals coming off of their... Amazing comeback against the Raiders and preparing for the Rams of all team. And then, oh, by the way, Wolf, as we're about to start the show today, Robert Sarver says he is beginning the process of seeking buyers for the Suns and Mercury. So they are going to be sold here at some point. Um, Seemed inevitable, didn't it? It did. It did. Uh, but it is crazy when you look at the timeline. That's that that investigation, those findings, that was all just made public last Tuesday. I know, and I was I was just wondering, my goodness, why is the league not coming down on him, not giving him the hammer? Why why is Adam Silver up in front of the world tripping and falling all over? Why is that happening? Well, I, I think we got a little a lot of clarity on that right now, as a matter of yeah, fact. Yeah, and, and I don't know about for you, but for me, Silver being up there talking the way he was and he being somebody that's not typically flustered when he's speaking. That to me was the, okay, this team's getting sold because (laughs) that, I mean, because you just look at the the way things that happened. He looked like he wanted to say more and couldn't. Yes. Then Chris Paul and LeBron in reverse order, LeBron tweets something out. Then Chris Paul tweets something out. And then PayPal says, yeah, we're just not going to keep being a sponsor of the Suns if Robert Sarver's still around. And you had more and more people starting to talk and you could see where this was going. Now, 
This is Woj from SportsCenter just a little bit ago. Says the public outcry leading to Sarver potentially deciding to sell? Uh, Shay, by, by all accounts and, and, and the people I've talked to around the Suns and in the NBA, it absolutely did accelerate his decision to sell both the Suns and the Mercury. <clears throat> Remember, Robert Sarver, when the league was trying to get him to voluntarily accept a one-year a suspension, the fine, he pushed back very hard, I'm told. He was not, um, this was not somebody who was showing a great deal of regret and sorrow over what he did. And I think there was concerns around the NBA that uh, his appetite to exist as a pariah in the league would continue, that he was not somebody who maybe would go away easily. Uh, but now he is going to sell the teams, and certainly it lets the NBA uh, the, his ownership peers off the hook uh, who were not going to move for a vote uh, to expel him as an owner. Yeah, I remember Woj had that tweet, Wolf, in that awkward period between the NBA investigation being released last Tuesday morning, but before the Suns had actually released a statement. Woj had that tweet that he just talked about right there where he said Robert Sarver was not real happy with the punishment. And, was, and, and it looked like he was going to fight it, and then Sarver had the uh, the statement that said, I'm accepting it. Yeah, you know, um, once again, I wonder why that is. The the league, I think, had a an understanding, once again, Adam Silver had an understanding that, listen, we're going to take it easy on you, but you are going to sell the team, right? Do we have an understanding on that? I mean, that's purely speculative based on onions right now, but yet at the same time, it's that's exactly what I think happened. Now, again, I could be dead wrong. It really doesn't matter. What does matter is the fact that Robert Sarver is selling the team. And I think sort of building off that in a slightly different direction, I just I think that they knew uh, if they couldn't get that agreement from him, that sort of like handshake agreement behind the scenes of what you're saying, then they probably just went to plan B of oh, we'll just put the report out there and people are going to see it and they're going to it's because if they don't put the report out there, it is. Robert Sarver allegedly said a lot of bad things, and we think he did, so we're going to suspend him for a year and fine him $10 million. But then that's how stories go away when there isn't actually like video evidence or audio evidence or a 43-page report out there. And then all of a sudden, you've got LeBron referencing the report and saying, I read it a few times, and Chris Paul and the PayPal president and all these people looking and saying, yeah, now that I've read the report, I'm not going to stand for this. Yeah. You know, once again, I've been struggling with this as well. I don't know if I agree with everything. I'm just saying that on... Um, Adam Silver had to know. He had to know this. This. What is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is to get Robert Sarver to sell this team. And that's the reason why I'm going to get up in front of the world and take it easy on Robert Sarver and try to explain away everything that has happened with a one-year suspension and a $10 million fine. Um, that was always the problem that I had because I know, do you think... Basinonians that uh, professional sports leagues, do you think they care about PR? <laughs> Say yes. They Wait, care. How many PR people work in the NBA? They care a ton about their image and what you think of them. And yet, Adam Silver got up there and only delivered a one-year suspension with that report, a one-year suspension and a $10 million fine. He said it, too. Um, Why is that when they care so much about PR? It's because, to me, they had a deal in place, an understanding in place.
And again, whether I'm right or wrong doesn't matter, but that's what I think. And And that's the reason Adam Silver was babbling in front of the world. He was, and he never is. He's not somebody that typically, like, look, I'm not trying to pile on Rob Manfred, but if Rob Manfred has a press conference where he's up there calling the World Series trophy a piece of tinfoil and he doesn't have the right words and he looks lost and he looks flustered, We've seen that before. We've never seen Adam Silver look flustered. He looked like he wanted to say more last Wednesday, but knew he couldn't. And the other owners are still his boss. So you said it. However they got to this point, you just said it right in there, Wolf. The ultimate goal at a certain point became, let's get Robert Sarver to sell the team. However they had to get there, they were going to get there. Here's more from Woj. Not only player pressure, but sponsorship pressure. And I think a sense with Robert Sarver that he would never be accepted mm-hmm. in this NBA community again at large or locally there, you know, pushed him to sell a team uh, that, listen, is going to have great value to potential buyers uh, all around. There's going to be no shortage of, of high-level ownership candidates for this organization. Yeah, here's more from Woj on, on the potential buyers for the Suns. Extremely uh, attractive. And long before Baxter Holmes' story, uh, that led to the NBA investigation. And uh, this was an organization, uh, uh, an ownership group that had offers through the years, significant offers to sell. Robert Sarver, um, you know, obviously did not sell prior. You know, the organization took a turn, you know, a few years ago, became a contender after years in the draft lottery. But in a number of factors, including uh, a warm weather client, uh, climate, uh, uh, a, a really good tradition uh, of winning basketball that predated Sarver as owner, you know, proximity to LA. Yeah. He's got more. <laughs> All of that. Um, he's got more. Yeah. I got, I got one more cut from him okay. because you always talk about the grapevine in, in football and really in, in any of the major sports. Well, if that grapevine, well, Woj just is part of that grapevine. He hears all that totally. stuff, right? And so he said this about, um, the executives around the league, what they think the Suns are capable of. This is, uh, you talk to league executives and GMs around the league and you know, for years they have all believed that the Suns could be a monster free agent destination, you know, up there with the elite, uh, with the L.A.s, the New Yorks, the Chicagos, with the right ownership group. And so that'll certainly be incumbent uh, uh, on, on the next group and, and who that's going to be. And, you know, listen, Robert Sarver does have you know, a lot of say over who he sells this team to. Of course, any uh, group would have to be approved by the NBA, uh, but certainly – uh, there are a lot of significant uh, high-level potential ownership groups who've had interest in the Suns, and now certainly that's going to accelerate uh, with Sarver's announcement that he's selling. See, that, that Wolf, that's that's not me or you or somebody with the Suns or Suns fans saying, hey, this this will be a great free agent destination. That's other executives around the league, and I envision it as like, we got to be careful because the Suns could become a great... Like They have no reason to say that. It doesn't benefit them. That's just genuinely what they feel. Yeah. You know, when you think about it, too, um, okay, October to the summer? Okay. <laughs> you know what? Best time to live I'm, here. Hey, what do you say? We all go and play and... Phoenix. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, that's one of the reasons why I do believe, again, that this could set a record again for the highest, the highest sale for an NBA franchise. They did it in 2004 at $401 million in 2004 when Jerry sold it. 
hey, could we be looking at $3 billion? It's a possibility. Well, so what was it, $400 million in 2004? $401. Okay. So in 2014, the Clippers went for $2 billion. So that's 10 years, and you go by that much. Now, here we are, eight more years. And I know somebody tweeted in, they're like, other, other NBA franchises could be had for the right price. Yeah, that's true. But there's one that's for sale. Yes. There's one that's for sale. And so if you are looking to get an NBA franchise for all the reasons Woj just laid out and you laid out earlier on top of the fact that there's actually one available, that's a pretty good setup for a potential bidding war right there. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, what was uh, Wolf going to have his eyes on Sunday when the Cardinals face the Rams? We'll tell you next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. And Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, back to football. Cardinals got the Rams on Sunday. They get them here. This weird twist of the way things have been played lately where the Cardinals are 9-1 and in their last 10 regular season road games. Wolf, I... Honestly, rather, they were playing them in L.A. this weekend. But whatever. They're playing them. They're playing them here. They'll play them in L.A. later on this season. Uh, what are you going to be watching for specifically when this game kicks off Sunday afternoon? Yeah, you know, honestly, um, what do you say we get to that? What will Wolf watch? What will Wolf watch? The rebuttal. Yeah, what's up, Bob Seeger via Metallica? Um, in law, rebuttal is a form of evidence that is presented to contradict or nullify other evidence that has been presented by an adverse party, my brothers. The Arizona Cardinals wish to offer up their own rebuttal to the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday at State Farm Stadium. The last time these two teams looked at each other, the Rams were running away with a playoff game and the Cardinals were offering up little resistance. The Rams made the Cardinals look like a team that was nervous, jittery, and ill-prepared for the playoffs and it started with their cue. But this does not seem like the same Kyler Murray that imploded against the Rams in L.A. Oh, no. And that, more than anything, other than the final score, is what I'll be looking for when these teams square off. In law, special rules apply to rebuttal. Rebuttal evidence or rebuttal witnesses must be confined solely to the subject matter of the evidence rebutted. However, rebuttal is one of the few vehicles whereby a party may introduce surprise evidence or witnesses. Your Honor, I call Kyler Murray as my witness. Has Kyler Murray improved from the last time he played the Rams? Why might we expect him to play differently? Surprise! The questions are multiple and the answers speculative. Kyler Murray and the Cardinals rolled over in L.A. during the playoffs, but Kyler rallied his team in Las Vegas and brought them back from a deficit no other big red quarterback had ever done. Kyler Murray stood in the pocket, moved in the pocket, stepped up in the pocket, and made game-winning throws from the pocket, looking like a different man from the one that threw two picks and had a quarterback rating of 40.9. 
Kyler Murray was under duress in that playoff game and looked it, but stood his ground in week one and played better than any of his teammates in the depressing defeat to the Chiefs. Kyler Murray's accounts receivable are worth $230 million, and he has played differently since losing by 23 in L.A. Kyler Murray extended plays with his legs, held on to the ball, directed receivers, ran circles around defenders, shook off a Max Crosby sack, and made plays that had nothing to do with give-up slides. In rebuttal, the rebutting party may generally bring witnesses and evidence which were never before declared so long as they serve to rebut the prior evidence. Well... The offense Big Red will employ on Sunday is not the offense that took the field last postseason. And the Rams' defense is not the same defense that destroyed the Cardinals. Hollywood Brown is a genuine deep threat. Max Williams is healthy. The Cardinals' running back room is loaded. And Will Hernandez adds strength and mass to their interior while the Rams' secondary has struggled to cover receivers and has given up big plays, and Vaughn Miller is a distant memory. But there is always a but. The B-U-T in rebuttal deals with INTs. Kyler Murray threw two bad interceptions against the Rams in the NFC wildcard round. And the Rams' defense in two games has turned over the opponent seven times seven. If the Cards are going to beat the Rams on Sunday and prove their rebuttal has merit, the mighty Kyler Murray cannot turn the ball over. But if the Cardinals protect Kyler Murray and keep the pocket sound like they did in week four of last year, they will turn the page in 2021 and usher in a new era of football in 2022. Turn the page, Kyler Turn the page. And win. You know, it's interesting, Wolf. The the different ways you can look at Kyler Murray taking the next step, I think that looks a little bit different depending on what you feel like he's missing through the first three years of his career, right? Or if you don't think he's missing anything, if you think he's basically on schedule. But I think Cardinals fans have a different, have varying viewpoints on what the next step looks like for Kyler Murray. And it might not be a tangible thing that you can just point to and say, look, there, he's he's taking it. Yeah. Except if he goes out there and handles the Rams, I think that's the one on the field single game people will look and say, like if the Cardinals went out there and had a repeat performance to what they did when they played the Rams the first time last year, I think people would look at that and say, they were so bad and he was bad. It was the only time he really has not looked composed in an NFL game against the Rams in the playoffs. If he looks composed and the Cardinals win on Sunday, that is tangible progress with Kyler Murray you can point to. No, that is a great observation by you, Luke. You're absolutely correct. I I think this is one of those games where I talk about this all the time, the threefold nature of man, Basinonians, body, soul, and spirit. It's going to take body, soul, and spirit of Kyler Murray and his teammates to go out and win this game. Because the Rams... Have owned them. I mean, what That's is before the before Kyler got here too? That was before Kyler. Absolutely, the Rams have owned. And, and right now, I think when you when you talk about this matchup, you have to start with when Cliff Kingsbury showed up in Kyler. Mm-hmm. When those two guys showed up, 
four years ago. That's the era I'm most concerned about right now, obviously, because Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury are so big to this organization going forward. Well, they're the, the only decisions ones that Cliff makes and the decisions on the field that Kyler makes. They're the only ones that have even beaten Sean McVay. I mean, he got Bruce Arians his first two times against B.A., Believe it or not, he even beat Steve Wilkes twice, that wonderful 2018 oh team. Uh, but look, the Cardinals are 1-10 against Sean McVay. The 1 was last October, yes. and it and they look good. I will say this, too. The, even the second time they lost to the Rams last year, Wolf looked better than previous losses to the Rams. That That second loss to the Rams was... Kind of the start of the downfall of the Cardinals, December 13th. They lost 30-23. to 23. It was yeah. not like they were run off the field. Sure. The embarrassing loss was obviously the playoff one, but it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately. <sighs> it's not even a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. It's just a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately life. And the Cardinals in their last game against the Rams, it was one of their worst games. It was their worst game of the Cliff Kingsbury-Kyler Murray era. So... Is it a regular season game? Is it one of 17? Yes. Is it a little more valuable because it's a division game? Yes. But I do think the intangibles with this team uh, can go one way or another based a lot on what happens on Sunday against the Rams. Yeah, hopefully we'll have somebody walk up to the Cardinals' sideline at as time expires and say, this house is clean. Well, you could just do that. You and then, just, you know. Now you're going to have to do that on the broadcast. Just Google it, my young crux. Uh Coming up next, the D-backs still playing the Dodgers. They played them twice yesterday. They got them again. But they're almost done with the Dodgers this season. They almost swept the Dodgers in that doubleheader yesterday. We're going to talk to their senior vice president, assistant GM, Amil Sade. Next, it is the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Diamondbacks front office focus with Wolf and Luke. Presented by Gettle Air Conditioning and Plumbing. G-O-E-T-T-L. It'll keep you cool, but it's hard to spell. Gettle.com. Well, D-backs get the split yesterday with the Dodgers. This weird five-game series against the Dodgers. They still have another one tonight and then tomorrow in L.A. Madison Bumgarner on the mound against Dustin May. Nearly got the sweep yesterday, Wolf. They were close to pulling off the doubleheader sweep of the Dodgers. Joining us right now on the Arizona Sports Line is D-backs Senior Vice President and Assistant GM Amiel Sade. Amiel, how's it going today? It's going all right. Good to have a win last night. Finally get a win at Dodger Stadium. That was, uh, that was a long and uh, tough day after, uh, after the uh, early morning game. Yeah, can you talk to us about that, Amiel? I, I know that the way you lost that first game, it's just brutal in the eighth inning right there after having a four-run lead and then, of course, losing it and losing the game overall 6-5. Why did that one seem to leave more of a mark than anything else this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's because it's the Dodgers, and I think obviously we're we um, we've done well this year against um, some of the other premier teams in in the National League. We've handled the Phillies. We you know we took two or three from the Braves when they came in here. Um, obviously, have done um, you know went out and played the White Sox really well. So if the White Sox have done our uh, um, uh, done well against the Giants, and then uh, you know the Dodgers. We just we've struggled this year, and we've um, we need to get over that hump against the Dodgers and the Padres. And obviously, yesterday going into uh, going into the eighth inning, you know, feeling somewhat somewhat good about where we were. Caleb threw a really good two innings, came back out in the eighth, and still had a pretty decent lead. And um, 
you know, just the way it kind of unraveled, um, it was tough. And then knowing that you got to turn around and play a game at night, um, two or three hours later, I'll give credit to Tori and the, and the team for just buckling down and Trey Jameson stepping up at night and, and giving us what we needed and, and the offense, uh, you know, actually putting some runs, uh, runs across uh, some insurance runs later in the game. And, um, so yeah, that one, that one stung because it was, it's at Dodger stadium and we wanted to win our first game at Dodger stadium this year. And we had it and you just got to do the little things, right. Talking to D-backs, uh, senior vice president, assistant GM, Amiel Sadeh. Amiel, you mentioned Dre Jamison and we had him on the show last week, talked to him and it was very interesting. Some of the stuff he said being you know, roommates with Ryan Nelson and then going out and having a similar major league debut against the Padres like Ryan Nelson did. But when you look at Dre Jamison, you're looking at a guy that had a, a, an ERA right around seven at triple A and yet through two starts in the majors, he's got a 1.38 ERA. He's undefeated. He's two and oh against the Padres and Dodgers of all all teams what 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 is going on here well i think um, one thing we've always talked about and we, we've kind of learned since we've been here uh, reno and the pcl is a very hyper offensive climate it's a very hyper offensive uh um way of way of um playing and and so i think it's it, it, you have to almost throw the numbers out as hard as it is to um, to do. You, you have to look at the stuff and how they execute pitches. And all those guys, Nelson, Jamison, Tommy, they were executing really well. There would be home runs that they would give up that weren't home runs in the big leagues. And even uh, I think Dre, uh, I can't, I don't know if he was on on your show after he pitched, but um, he even said, um, you know, there were some balls that hit on last Thursday against the Padres that would have been home runs in Reno. Mm-hmm. And those, those home runs can get you clipped for two or three, uh, two or three runs. And I think here um, it's a little bit different. I think obviously you have a little bit better defense behind you. Um, your slider breaks a little bit better. Obviously um, the climate's different as far as where we, uh, you know, where we play. And then, I I can tell you that we have some of Dre Jameson is probably one of them, but some of the most uh, intense competitors between Nelson, Jameson, Henry, that group, and um, and they're they're trying to outduel each other, and I think they feed off each other. They're really close. They feed off each other and they try to outduel each other. And I think that that really helps when you get in a big league game and you're trying to scratch out a win and get an extra inning. Those guys know what to do. That climate in Reno and the PCL does that make it? Does it work the other way and make it difficult to evaluate hitters that you're about to call up as well? Um, it makes it a little challenging, but I think it, it used to be more challenging than in, um, now that we have batter ball data. I think it probably used to be a little bit more challenging when we didn't have that information. But you can see the exit velo, the launch angles. You can kind of tell which balls are hit really well and are real home runs, and which balls are just you know, kind of would have been caught at the um, at the major league level and wouldn't have been home runs in, in a major league ballpark. So yes and no, but it's definitely it definitely can work the other way. So Amiel, uh, Corbett Carroll, once again, I mean, this kid, I just love watching him play. He's got 60 at-bats. How, how has he done, in your opinion, and how are pitchers trying to get him out? Yeah, I think um, he's done. He's done exceptionally well. He's, um, you know, short of that first play that uh, the line drive that uh, the knuckled on him um, when he, when, you know, he's coming up here and playing right field. He's played. Uh, he's played really good defense for us, and he goes up there. He grinds out at bats. He waits for his pitch to hit. Um, obviously, we've seen him take the extra base. He, you know, we haven't even gotten a great chance to see him steal a lot of bases, which I think we know we'll see at some point. And and he's driving the baseball. I think pitchers are trying to get him to chase. And um, 
and you know, young hitters chase because they get aggressive and they get, you know, they're in the moment. And um, and he did early, and um, I think we saw that early on. And I think he's just kind of held back a little bit. And you know, obviously we're 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 on a run where we're facing a lot of good pitching, and he's out there, um, whether it's a left on left against um, Tyler Anderson or or um, or Shamanaya or uh, Blake Snell, where he's getting some of the lefties that he's never really seen in AAA. I think um, he's he's got to get some of that experience under his belt, and he's getting that at the big league level. And Tori's done a great job of just, you know, making sure that he's, um, you know, he's staying, he's he's getting good confidence, mm-hmm. and he's staying within his approach, and not over, uh, you know, mi- mixing those guys in really well, so that. Um, you know, so the guys can have some success too. Talking to Amiel Sade, uh, Amiel, you guys have 13 games left. I know you would prefer to be 149 and 0 right now, but in general, with the young players that have come up and developed, and and just sort of the progress we have all seen this season, are there one or two things that stand out that you are very happy that you guys have been able to accomplish this season? Yeah, I think we're. I think just watching this core nucleus play together is is one of the things that we were hoping that that would happen. And in the last couple of months, we've seen that. You know, that has to happen by them performing in the minor leagues and being able to push up and perform when they get up to the big leagues. And we've been able to see that. We've been able to layer in some of the young arms that um, we weren't sure. We, you know, if we were going to have that opportunity to do that, whether it be at health or inning limits or whatever it is. And I think um, just. You know, watching the last six weeks, it's really exciting. I think, uh, you know, you guys, we've talked about this. It's, they put a lot of pressure on defenses. Even as a ground ball hits to the shortstop, you watch the shortstop having to just – he can't he can't take an extra step or Jake McCarthy's going to beat him out. And, um, you know, with some of the rule changes in the, in, um, in, in the coming years, I think speed is going to be – speed and athleticism are going to be a huge part of – of the game and and defense and I think we have a lot of that with some of our young position players and um you know in our young pitching we have a, we have a stable of arms that we were we've been excited to see that we're starting to see and we have some more underneath them that um that hopefully next year we'll get a chance to see you know on that note right there I I, I know this is going to be really difficult for you to answer but what percentage of these guys, these farmers that we've seen brought brought up, what percentage do you think are going to be on the opening day roster next year? That's tough to tell. I mean, hopefully a good part of it, but um, but again, it's it's um, a lot of it depends on what they do in the off season, right? Like they have to come into camp in shape, they have to come into camp ready to compete. Nobody is just handed a spot necessarily, so I think um, you know. Knowing the makeup of this group of players, um, I, I think you know there's there's going to be a large percentage percentage that pushes towards being on the opening day roster. But again, nothing's given. Tory Tory makes these decisions based on like who who comes in and who competes well and who wins a job. And so you know our hope is that we continue to push forward with a very young team. Uh, we have one of the youngest groups of position players in baseball, and uh, and it's starting to shift that way with some of the pitching too. So, um, you know, it's hard. It, it's exciting, but it's hard to it's hard to give you a percentage. Yeah, um, yeah. We appreciate the time as always. Good luck against the Dodgers again today. All right. 
Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you, buddy. That's Amil Sade right there, D-back Senior Vice President, Assistant GM, joining us on the Arizona Sports Line. And when we come back, well, if you've uh, if you're just now jumping in the car or flipping on the radio or whatever and catching up, there's been a lot that has happened today. Specifically, we're going to take you through all the biggest stories around Valley Sports next with Wolf and Down Your Lunch. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.